How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tam Jancy. Tam, how's it going, sir? It's going pretty good. It's getting dark at like 5 p.m. now, and that's freaking weird. I know. Uh, it's really dark here right now. It's insane. And then, also, I don't know how I've had just such awful luck in fantasy hockey. My bench is almost... Com- like, I have to put injured players on my bench because I'm out of injury reserve slots. Yeah, I know. It sucks. Even for me in fantasy football, like, we only have one injury reserve. And it's the same thing, man. Like, I got guys on my bench right now who are hurt, and it's like, oh, fuck. But, you know, give it up to the Springfield Isotopes with their 11-point game the other night. So, yeah, yeah. go from third to first right there. <laughs> I'm only seven points back, so I can, I can bring that back in a day. It's true, man. It's true. That's what's really cool about fantasy hockey so far for us this year has really been just how close the top three really are because there's really only, what, eight points that separates all three of us? Yeah. And then uh, after that, there's quite the drop-off. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not like our fantasy football league where it's pretty even. Like, you'll get, like, two teams who are six and three, five and three, and it just goes down from there. So it's not like us where it's, like, the top three are so stacked and then like the major drop off from there. Yeah. I guess that's just what happens when you draft good and uh, you don't have five freaking goalies in a weekly rotation league. I know, but I got to say, man, your pickup of Jacob Markstrom though. Oh, that was oh, what? chef's kiss, man. Chef's kiss. How many, how many shutouts have I gotten from the guy? Five. Something like that. Yeah. And I've, only, I... I've only had it for two weeks. I know I've been hearing about it too. So (laughs) good for you though. Good for you. So Tim, really excited to get together to do today's episode because we've got a fully loaded episode. We've got four games. We've got big news stories to talk about, but before we do anything, we got to talk about today's cover athlete because today's episode is season five, episode four in chronological order, episode 99. Now, of course, there hasn't been an Ottawa Senator that wore the number 99. Today's cover athlete is not a player or a team, but a moment. April 15th, 1999. Now, the listeners might be listening to this, Tim, and maybe wondering, well, April 15th, 1999, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it's a couple of reasons. Number one, it was the final home game for the 1998-99 Ottawa Senators in a 3-3 tie versus... Wayne Gretzky and the New York Rangers, which ended up being Wayne Gretzky's final game in Canada. And of course, three days later versus the Pittsburgh Penguins, Gretzky played his final game in New York. And I believe, I think the Rangers ended up winning that game. So when we were putting together our cover athletes, Tim, you know, because the Senators have never had a number 99, we had to go with Gretzky. was no way we couldn't go with Gretzky. And, you know, especially because Wayne Gretzky's final game in Canada happened in Ottawa. That's such a cool little history tidbit, right? hmm And it's one of those things where it's like, I think I was, I was living in the UK. No, I would have still been in Halifax at the time. So I re- actually, I do remember it being just this big deal. It was like, Gretzky's going to hang him up. Gretzky's going to hang him up. And it's really cool that Ottawa fans got to be the last Canadian fans to see him play. 
it really is cool, man. It really is cool. And later on, we'll talk a little bit about, because I put it up on Twitter about people's reactions. If they were at the game, what was it like? All that stuff. So we'll talk about that in a second here, but Gretzky's retirement in 1999. I mean, that was a moment that really, you knew it was going to come eventually because the guy had been in the league since 1979. You knew that Gretzky wasn't going to be around forever. I think the moment for me, I don't know how many people would agree with this, Tim. I think the beginning of the end really came in the 98 Olympics. Now hear me out when I say this, because Mm -hmm. you've got to realize when Gretzky went to the Olympics in 98, this is the, again, you've got to realize this is a big history moment here. was that this is the very first time that NHLers were allowed to go to the Olympics in the same way, six years previous, the NBA was allowed to go to the Olympics for the very first time in 1992. Yeah. So this was Canada's version of the dream team. Now we'll talk a little bit about how Canada did in that tournament, because you want to talk about a moment that just you shake your head at really (laughs) just the boneheaded decisions that team Canada made. But when Gretzky went to the Olympics in 98, if he was to retire right then and there, he was going to be in the hall of fame immediately. That was already set in stone. He had set every record. He broke any, anything and everything. He already won everything except a gold medal. He goes to the Olympics in 98. And one of the things I think that signals the beginning of the end was the final shootout against the Czech Republic. It was a moment where Dominic Kosick stood on his head and beat us that game. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because in the shootout, Wayne Gretzky was not one of the shooters. He got snubbed for it. Weird. And Mark Crawford has said in an interview, and I read an interview, I didn't, I wasn't an interview, it was an article from CBC a few years ago. And they talked about some of the boneheaded decisions that Team Canada did in putting that team together. Because again, this is the very first time they'd ever been on the Olympic style ice which was a much wider ice surface in the NHL. So they really weren't better, well suited for it. But Gretzky had meant so much to Canada. He meant so much to hockey at that point. And you can go down the list from, you know, breaking every record, the NHL's eventual arrival into the Southern markets. Internationally, Gretzky meant everything. And then you have a moment where Gretzky went from being the great one to just another one. It doesn't help that Wayne Gretzky was always kind of bad in breakaways. Mm-hmm. So, like, could you imagine uh, Crawford putting him out and Hashik just destroys him, like makes it look simple? But the that thing- would have been even worse. Yeah, and I get that. But the thing is, is that he put a defenseman out there. Ray Bork was a really good shooter. Yeah, when he's shooting at pylons or shooting from the blue line, not when you're going on a breakaway. Fair enough. And I understand that, yeah, Crawford's decision to not play him in the in the shootout, because again, as you said, he was not going to shootouts. Gretzky was a lot like Michael Jordan, though, is that when the game was on the line and the bigger the moment, Gretzky came through the same way that Jordan did. So you never know. Gretzky could have buried it past Hasek. I don't know. It's like, I almost think that for Gretzky, I'm not sure which is worse, the snub or him just getting absolutely stoned by a uh, Hashik who was dialed right in. Remember that the Czechs won the whole tournament. Yep. 
Yeah, and it's funny even talking to our delivery driver who's from the Czech Republic, and we've said on the podcast, we said it when Ron Tognet was on with us, is that Dominic Hasek is next-level famous for that Olympics. Yeah. And the other thing is, is like it's not like uh, Gretzky was having the best tournament. Timu Solani scored the most points. It's true, but I think in that moment, though, is that you look at everything that Gretzky meant to Canada internationally. You see all the moments he came through the fact that he never got that chance to really help Canada. And I think the shot that really sold it was when the Czech Republic had won it. There's that shot of Gretzky sitting by himself on the bench, that look on his face. That's a look of a man who got reduced to nothing. It didn't matter what he did in the NHL. It did not matter what he did internationally. As I said, he went from being the great one to just another one. That was a moment I don't think Wayne was ever the same when he came back. I think because that really signaled the beginning of the end for Gretzky because I think it was just what more did he have left in him at that point? Because he came back the next year, he was hurt. He didn't seem to be the best. And then he called it a career. Mm -hmm. Which, fair. But at that time, you got to realize was that the NHL, two years previous, had lost Mario Lemieux to his first retirement in 1997. Yeah. The NHL, who had marketed and banked on Gretzky being this guy that they can market in the United States, he was gone too. But out of three years, the two of the best players of all time was retired. Well, like, that's going to happen, right? It's a sport. Mm-hmm. Shit happens. And I'm, I'm not going to begrudge Crawford for what he did. No. And it's, it's like, going to happen. Like, eventually Gretzky, the magic was going to be over. It is you true. Know? But I mean, you look at like, if you look up that roster, you look at some of the names on that list, like Trevor Linden was on that list. Rob Zaminer was on that list. You're just looking at it and scratching your head going, why is Rob Zaminer on that? Trevor Linden, who's a really good player. Why was he in the Olympics? I understand because Joe Sackick was injured, I think, in the quarterfinals. Paul Correa was, had a serious concussion before the Olympics, so he couldn't play. But, again, you're telling me that you couldn't get the best of the best to go to the Olympics for this? Yeah, like, there's definitely some, like, I think more rests on the GM than, than Mark Crawford's coaching there. Yeah, I mean, you can obviously look. I mean, uh, who are some of the names that weren't on that? Well, Scott Niedemeyer wasn't on that team. He played in 2002. You look at some of the bigger names who, like Mark Messier, didn't make the team. You really look at that roster and you just like, wow, this is really the best of the best that you could send to the Olympics? Yeah. It's definitely a weird-ass roster for sure. It is. And it really spoke to how Gretzky put Team Canada together four years later. And I'm – I know you didn't get a chance to listen to the interview that Wally Mathot did with Jacques Martin, who was a part of the coaching staff of the O2 Olympics. And he says that they used the 98 Olympics as a what not to do when putting a team together, because Jacques Martin's argument was when you're at the Olympics, you're not going to have a fourth line guy out there on the penalty kill. You're wanting a top six guy in your bottom six trying to score. Yeah. And that's what they did. I mean, look at the 2002 team. I will still maintain to the state that is of this generation, the greatest team Canada team that we've ever put together. Cause that 
fourth line, I think it was who was it? Newendike, Beal Fleury, and somebody else. And they they combined for like a thousand points, a couple Stanley Cups, and that was their fourth line. Yeah. Although that that 2010 team, despite the rough time they had, that was also a really good team. It's just all the other teams were really good as well. It is, but I often wonder when these guys all start re- retiring, how many Hall of Famers do you think are really going to come off this team? Like, obviously, Sidney Crosby is a pretty obvious one. You know, you've got Martin Brodeur, Roberto Luongo. You've got the guys like that who are already in the Hall of Fame. That 2002 team, like, how many guys are already in the Hall of Fame? Just off that team, you got Mario, Korea, Sakic, Iserman, Niedemeyer, Pronger, Broder, Ed Belfort, like just go down the list, right? Well, even for the Canadian one, like you've got Broder, Fleury's probably going to be in there with a Wongo, Dowdy, definitely, Duncan Keith, probably, Niedermeyer, Pronger, not Seabrook, maybe Weber, probably Bergeron, definitely Crosby, Gets Laugh, probably. Again, Lazardi in there. Marlowe will be in there. Is Brendan Morrow in there? Brendan Morrow? Uh, I don't see Brendan Morrow being in Probably not. Probably not Corey Perry. Probably not Eric Stahl. I could see Thornton and probably Taze. Like yeah. I'd say, most of that 2010 roster will probably end up in the Hall of Fame as well. Yeah, I would put Corey. Corey Perry, I think, is a borderline Hall of Famer at best because he was MVP. He won a Stanley Cup. He won gold at both the world juniors and the Olympics. Right. So, yeah. And he's one, two, sorry. No, he's up. He's currently on the host track. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess third time's the charm. Maybe, maybe we'll have to wait and see though, Tim. Yeah. But it's like a lot of these guys, I, I think pretty much everyone on this team, except for Danny Heatley and Jerome McGinlow and Shea Weber have won cups though. Oh, and Marlo. So, like, most of that team has won a Stanley Cup. You know, I totally forgot that he Hitler was on uh, 2010. Yeah. Well, it's like, that was kind of at his peak. Well, I don't know. I think he was coming out of his peak by that point, though. Because well, he, he, he had a couple of the Sharks in San Jose, and then he just went completely nosedived into the ground. Well, it's like his last good year at the Sharks was 2010-2011. Mm-hmm where he had that really good playoffs. And the only thing that really stopped them was like a weird stanchion bounce that uh, oh, I want to say Kevin BX said. BX has scored on it, yeah. So, you know, Tim, I just said a few moments ago that I put up on Twitter asking for input from, the, from our listeners and some people on Sense Twitter if they were at the game or they heard any stories from people who attended the game to leave a comment below and we'll definitely read it on the episode. So I just brought it up here. So at lip 1978 responded with that his dad's birthday is in April. I was looking at the schedule at the start of the year and saw the game and thought I've never seen 99 and it might be my last chance. So I bought them. I'll admit that I made a couple of old ladies mad when I said he's cherry picking. (laughs) But the energy in the building, the love and the ovations, the one more years and being named all three stars is something I'll never forget. He also recommends the ultimate Gretzky DVD set for any hockey fan. And Joseph, our guest goes for in a couple of weeks was also there. He said, I was there with my dad, brother and uncle. 
you see people giving up a standing oh but what you don't see is how many people how many people had tears it was a proud canadian day and yet such a sad day and the exact moment was so big you felt how big it was watching people clap and cry and of course at dabby brass i think that's how he said dabby dabby brass says there was an article after the game about sen's defenseman lance pitlick I actually met him in the Ottawa airport a few years ago. Nice. He skated up to Gretzky and offered to autograph his stick, tongue-in-cheek, of course. It was in reference to the fact that Wayne Gretzky uses a different stick each shift, so each of his teammates got one to keep, which is a really nice touch. I will give him that. And I think Adam also responded to David's comment, saying he remembers seeing that mentioned at Gretzky's now-closed restaurant in Toronto on Blue Jays Way. Right. God, that is so such a Toronto thing, eh? What, Blue Jays Way? Blue Jays Way. That's such a Torontonian thing. Well, most cities will name the street either going to or that the arena is on after the major team, right? Yeah, that's true. Like Like Palladium Way in in Canada. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know, but, you know, you got to take a little pot shot at Toronto every now and then, though. That's true. That's true. It is a really nice street, though. Is it? Yeah. Solid. So, Tim, for next week's episode, season five, episode five, chronological order, episode 100. Yes. Weird. Holy shit. Now, here's the thing, Tim. We don't have a cover athlete for this week. We never came up with an idea for one. We haven't really discussed one. So honestly, from the time of this recording till the time the episode comes up, we might actually think of one. We might just leave it barren. We don't know yet. I thought we were just going to roll over and start doing goal, the goalie number. Yeah, good, good. Well, I guess it is episode 100. It's kind of special. So we yeah. could just do, leave no cover. We could be the cover athlete. Could. Yeah, get a fresh start right there, man. Episode yeah, yeah. Four. Yeah, or if you want to be a fucking smartass, it would be episode, I think it's episode 176, if I'm not mistaken. Are we doing this? Are we doing this right now? No. <laughs> no, I am not going there again. Yeah. Haha, <laughs> very funny, Pan. So, Tim, there's always something that our listeners love to know, and I love to ask every week. How has your week been going? Pretty good, pretty good. Last week was just busy with work, so didn't do anything too, too interesting. No? No, not really. Did you watch Agent Orange? Did you just call it Agent Orange? Yeah, isn't that what it's called? No, it's Pride of Orange. Agent Orange is a chemical weapon. Oh. Like, I, yeah, so watch, like, I didn't watch the show, Jeez. I'm pretty sure they're not going to name an anime Agent Orange that's about hockey. Well, I hope not. (laughs) Anyway, so Pride of Orange recap. So the girls joined the main team and they got their numbers. Now, do you think you can guess the position from the number? Ooh, okay. Okay, so we've got number one, Monica. What position does she play? Right defense. 
I think it's hilarious that you actually pinged that she wasn't a goalie. Really? She's a center. Oh, okay. Ayaka, number 10. Ayaka. Left wing? Right wing. Oh, fuck. Okay. Karako, number 15. Goalie. She is the goalie. Ding, she ding, picked ding, the... Ding. That's actually really well done. She picked number 15 because she likes strawberries. Really? Yeah. Is there any correlation between the two? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Yes, sorry. 15, one, five can be read as Ichigo, and Ichigo is strawberries uh, in Japanese. Okay. Naomi, number 18. Center. Right wing. Oh, I'm missing a player. Oops. Uh, she picked number 18 because she liked a particular... She likes a particular player, but didn't stay. I'm thinking it's, I was thinking it was probably Hosa and Rico number 24. Ooh. Yeah. That's a right wing. Rico's center. Oh, for Christ's sakes. It's tough, eh? It is because tough. like the numbers are, it's like where you would think the numbers usually are for an AHL team aren't, especially with fucking Manica. Manica taking number one. Yeah. Like best player in the league, Japanese under 16, MVP, leaves her team because her team's bullshit and doesn't want to be get good. Comes and watches the girls play at uh, like the Pride of Orange girls play. And uh, the coach is like, hey, I bet you could probably whip all these girls, but if they manage to stop one of the pucks in this shootout, you're going to join our team. And she's like, okay. And during the shootout, she remembers what fun is. So she rings one off the post and joins the team. Loses on purpose. So she threw the game. She threw, she threw the shootout because she want, she wanted to join the team, even though she originally said she didn't because she learned about fun. Hmm. Interesting. So this really is the mighty ducks. Oh my good Lord. I know. I know. <laughs> God, the Mighty Ducks. Did you actually read that Emilio Estevez has been cut from season two of the Mighty Ducks Disney Plus series? What did he do? Why? Uh, because he wouldn't follow COVID protocols. Ah. Yeah. Let's see. Address exit from Ducks and it reports over vaccine dispute. I'm not anti-vax. Take the pandemic seriously. Often tease about Mike T falling on safety programs and about process. Interesting because yet it's weird because, like, the dude already had COVID. Yeah, you would think, eh? He would have got the vax, but... Well, what we're trying to... Well, it's like, I guess, maybe he's just like, whatever, I got it, who cares? Yeah, but, I mean, that's not a great way to look at it, so... Yeah, fair enough. So I'll talk a little bit about my week because, you know, I had a pretty good week overall. So got to see my cousin on Friday night, hung out for a little bit, played some games, crashed there, woke up the next morning, just felt awful. Like I just felt like just so sick. I felt like shit. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I was hungover because I didn't really drink that night. I had a couple of beers, but nothing too extreme. Nothing that I'm like, yeah, okay. I don't know if I'm going to fight through this. Got to work, got sick, went to my boss and just like, I'm going home. See ya. I'm going home. Crash on Saturday. 
Sunday, went up to the Kinsel Trestle. That was pretty good. I had a good time up there with my girl, so had a fun time. Sorry, sorry, sorry. What? Yes, 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 you heard me. We're moving on. No, no. You're, you're going to talk right. about that here. Yeah, what do you want to know? My girl. Well, yeah, I went with a girl, didn't I? I mean, that's news. Just going to drop that in there, like you could just slide it on through, like I'm not going to notice. Well, yeah, pretty much. Tiss, 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 tiss. Oh, shut up. <laughs> this is not the first time I mentioned her on the show. Jesus. Oh, is this the one where both your dad and I are like, oh, a girl, huh? Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Okay. Yeah, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, so pretty- uh, you're like, shut up, assholes. You guys aren't right. And uh, turns out us assholes was right. Yes. Tim was right. Tim was right. Shut up. Tim was right. <laughs> But no, good on you. Yeah, shut. <laughs> so one of the di- one of the things I did get a chance to watch again this week. I didn't... Okay, will you stop laughing? <laughs> okay, we're good. We're good. God, I'm gonna hear about this. I swear to God. So one of the things that I did get a chance to watch again this week, and I did mention it last week, was the movie trailer for the Uncharted movie. Now, for those who don't know, Uncharted, the video game series, it was started by Naughty Dog Studios in 2007. There was four mainline games, an expansion game for Uncharted 4, and a spinoff on the PlayStation Portable. Now, for years, there's been talks about an Uncharted movie. And for myself, like, Uncharted seems like an idea that would have made a pretty cool movie, if I'm being perfectly honest. You know, you've got action, you've got a treasure hunt, you got all this cool shit that you can do for it. I personally felt that I always thought it should have been a Netflix series more than anything, but here we are. It's being a movie. So for the trailer, overall, for the most part, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. There's gunfights, there's ridiculous action scenes. The one scene from the trailer, which was Nathan Drake falling out of the airplane with the, uh, the cargo falling out with him, which I don't think happened in any of think it might have happened in one of the games if i'm not mistaken but it seems like something right out of the video games so that was kind of cool now for the casting of the characters the casting of nathan drake was something that i was lukewarm to because for years the person that i always thought would be a great choice was nathan fillion now if you don't Mm -hmm. know who nathan fillion is i think he's on what's he on rookie blue or one of these cop shows on tv and he's a big fan of Uncharted. He did a fan film on YouTube in 2018. So that was really cool. For the movie, though, they cast Tom Holland. And Tom Holland who had played Spider-Man in one of the Spider-Man movies. And I was lukewarm to the idea because when I saw Tom Holland, I just like, I don't really see Nathan Drake. Nathan Drake's like this tall, rugged looking dude. And Tom Holland just is just a smaller guy. He doesn't really fit like he would be perfectly cast as him, but... For what the trailer is showing, it looks like it's going to be more based on younger Drake, which they have shown in the games over over the years. And, but no, I, I could see it work as Nathan Drake. And for the villain, we don't know anything about the villain, but we know it's going to be played by Antonio Banderas. Now, Antonio Banderas has been in action movies for so many years. He was on Desperado, uh, El Mariachi. He's been in tons and tons of action movies over the years. I think he was in... Um, expendables as well i think i think he was in those as well 
So yeah, I think it's going to be a great choice as a villain. And that's the one thing that the Uncharted games I never thought had was great villains. The villains were just, in my, in my personal opinion, I always thought they were just kind of there. Yeah, they were just kind of there. Like, you know, you think, oh yeah, it's going to be something big and epic and cool. And it's just like, yeah, it's just a guy that wants to find something. Okay. This person has no like real motivations to want to take down Nathan Drake. It's just like he wants to find this Nathan Drake that gets in the way, kind of like Indiana Jones. Yeah. Although at least with Indiana Jones, it was like you had a reason to root against the villain because they're Nazis most of the time. Yeah. So, so it's not like they have to spend a lot of time building up the villains other than they're good at it. Yeah, and I think in Uncharted 2, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was like some sort of warlord or in uh, South America or something, if I'm not mistaken. It's, it's been a while since I played the mainline games. And from what I was seeing in the trailer, it appears like Chloe from Uncharted 2 is going to be in the movie as well. She was shown in the trailer. With all the positives, though, like I'm talking about the trailer, the I do have a couple of thoughts. Hmm. Number one is the casting of Sully. Now, here's the thing about this actor. I like him, and I like his movies, but I don't buy him as Sully. And that's Mark Wahlberg. I don't know what it is. I think it's just because I look at Mark Wahlberg, and I'm like, that's not Sully. That's just Mark Wahlberg. There's nothing different about the dude. There's nothing like if you like if you ever look at a picture of Sully from the games and look at a picture of Mark Wahlberg, if you put them together, they look nothing like. So let's look this guy. Yeah. So while you're doing that, you know, and I'll talk about because I was talking about with us with my boss, the person I thought who could have made a really good Sully. And it's an interesting choice because, again, he's been in action movies for years. He's a very well known actor. And I think he'd be perfect, would have been Mel Gibson. If you clean up Mel Gibson a bit. He I was about been... to say, can we have Mel Gibson in movies anymore? Yeah, yeah. He's been in movies the last little while. Okay. Let's see. I kind of see it. They both have the massive forehead. You just have to slap a mustache on Mark Wahlberg, and I think you're close. Yeah, but they're not doing that, though. If you watch the trailer, like, there's no mustache. There's no stubble or anything, so. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. They should have just got Marky Mark to do it. Yeah, I know. Maybe they got the Funky Bunch as well. Yeah. But no, I don't know. I think that was one of the big criticisms I had was that I don't like the casting of it. Mark Wahlberg was just like, yeah, he's good. I think Mel Gibson would have been really good. My boss suggested maybe a J.K. Simmons or something like that, which hmm. I don't know. I don't see J.K. Simmons. Mel Gibson would have been really perfect for it, but that's just me. Now, the other big issue I have, and it shows right at the beginning of the trailer, is that if you've played the Uncharted games, the one thing that they retconned from the series was how Nate and Sully actually met. Now, if you played the games, you would know that, I think it was Uncharted 3, I think Nathan followed Sully from a museum and pickpocketed him, and then Sully caught him. Right. In the, mo in the trailer, it just shows Nathan Drake bartending, and Sully comes up to him. Right. And I'm just like, okay. I understand you want you trying to want to make some differences from the move, like from the games into the movie and stuff, but 
again, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It was a weird nitpick for me. I think it's because again, if you've played the uncharted games, I think this is more suited for people who've never played the, the games themselves, mm. but maybe in the movie, maybe it explains why exactly Nathan and Sully actually met that way instead of the way they did in the games. But I don't know. It looks like, it looks like a lot of fun. It looks like a fun trailer. It looked like it could be a fun movie. Do I think it's going to be great? Probably not. Because again, video game movies don't exactly have the best reputation of being good. Yeah, they're usually pretty bad. Yeah, and it's funny because like the video game, like the Netflix series that are based off games like Castlevania and I believe The Witcher. I think people had some criticism about The Witcher, which I only saw a couple episodes. I never really got super into it, but the Castlevania ones, I've heard they're not too bad. So, well, I've heard the Castlevania show is pretty good. Yeah. It's definitely, it might be worth watching. It could. It could. I just think it might have been a better Netflix series, though. So, now that we recapped our week, Tim, let's talk about our last week's episode because, you know, it was a good episode. It was a decent episode overall. I think at times I was kind of falling over myself once again but you know i think that we got stronger as it went along and we got her done that's kind of how we do it though eh yep get it done talk about some good hockey talk about cartoon hockey and then wrap it off with some games and last week was a bit of a tougher episode because just all the aldrich stuff came to came to bear and that's just it hangs over everything else you know yeah, and I think that's the one takeaway from that episode was that if anybody was going to listen to anything from that episode, it was going to be that. Yeah. And it was good. It was a good one. And you saw the passion. And I'm amazed we didn't get any com- feedback or comments about that because we made some pretty interesting comments about that. Well, it's not like we were making any comments that were that far away from the norm, right? Like, I think most people were pretty disgusted with what was happening, but were also pretty resigned to the fact that it'll probably happen again before it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, though, man. Pretty much. Yeah. So, Tim, another thing that I love doing on this episode is segueing into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So given that we just talked about the Brad Ulrich stuff, just a follow-up from last week's episode, the NHL has X'd out Brad Ulrich's name from the Stanley Cup. So that's a good positive step forward. We talked about that. Totally in agreement of it. So good on the NHL. Mm. Now we got a big story. Holy shit. We do. And we've got probably the biggest story we're going to talk about all week. And it's been something that... When talking about the NHL news cycle, this is a story and this is the dramatic, dramatic, dramatic thing hanging over everybody. The Jack Eichel era of the Buffalo Sabres is officially over. The Buffalo Sabres have traded Jack Eichel and a 2023 third round pick to the Vegas Golden Knights for Alex Tuck, Peyton Krebs, and a 2022 first round pick and 2023 second round pick. 
Eichel recorded two goals, 16 assists for 18 points in 21 games for Buffalo, while Tuck recorded 18 goals, 15 assists for 33 points in 55 games for Vegas, while Krebs recorded five assists in two games for the American Hockey League's Henderson Silver Knights. So, you know how a couple of years ago, when Eric Carlson got traded to San Jose, I made the comment about how we should talk about is this a good deal for us? Is this a bad deal for us? It doesn't matter. What matters is that there's an era that is wasted. Mm. When we had Melissa Burgess on the show, Tim, one of the things that we commented on is that I don't think I've ever seen a team that wasted a guy's talent the way the Buffalo Sabres wasted Jack Eichel's. And it's honestly kind of incredible, especially with Buffalo not looking terrible this season. I've seen it summed up as Ralph Kruger is a hockey terrorist, but also just the brain trust in Buffalo couldn't get players together. And when they finally got close to having a team there, they put Ralph Kruger in charge, like every step in the way Buffalo got in its own way. And what's interesting is, as far as uh, Kevin Adams is concerned, he's been pretty good. Because like Ralph Kruger, he inherited. He inherited the Eichel stuff. The only thing that he really, like his big sin was uh, not letting Eichel get the surgery he wanted. But was that really Kevin Adams or was that the ownership itself? Who knows? Because like, a lot of the moves that Kevin Adams has made have actually been kind of all right. Like he managed to get something out of, he managed to get something for uh, Rasmus Ristolainen, which is incredible. Yeah. But like, then he turned around and he got almost, I don't want to say get next to nothing, but he didn't really get a ton for Reinhardt though in Florida. That's true. I'm still amazed he got something for Rasmus Ristolainen. Let's be very real. The fact that, they got more for Ristolainen than they did for Reinhardt. It was amazing. But the fact is that when talking about the return... Well, they got a first-round pick for Sam Reinhardt. True, but that's that's, that's not a great first-round pick. It was sure. in the 20s, but... It's not a bad return. No, it's not. But I So when talking about the Eichel return, though, if you were to ask me what would be a legit return for Jack Eichel... I don't exactly know what a great return for Eichel would have been because he's not healthy. That's the thing is you're, if, bank, this yeah. is, you're banking on the fact that this guy is going to get a surgery. He's going to get healthy and he's going to come back. Something could go completely wrong and his career is over. Yeah. And that's the thing is I think given that condition, Mm-hmm. Buffalo probably could not have expected more than getting a former first round pick, a, pl- a roster player, a first round pick. Like the return's not that bad. Like I think it's about the best they could have gotten. Yeah. And especially because when you hear of the other teams that were involved, like Calgary was involved, Anaheim was involved. I've always maintained Calgary wasn't going to be a team to land them just because they didn't have the pieces to make it work. And not only make it work, but make 
it make sense to why you're making this deal? Because you're making a deal for a guy who really potentially the earliest could be back in the spring at the earliest. Here's the thing. The Calgary Flames don't need Jack. Like it would make Jack, the Calgary Flames a much better team. Mm -hmm. But right now, Gaudreau is playing some of his best hockey. He's on fire this season. He is. But I often look at what exactly Calgary would have had to give give up to get him. It would probably be first round. I was hearing Matthew DeChuck going to Buffalo, which that would have been a disaster for Buffalo because there's no way Matthew DeChuck would have signed long-term with the Sabres. No. But honestly, if Jack Eichel can come back and be healthy for the 22-23 season, Vegas wins us right there. Because you're honestly – really, what did you really honestly gave up? All you really gave up is – Peyton Krebs, who wasn't on the big team, mm-hmm. a 2022 second, or sorry, 22 first, that was going to be a low draft pick. And, and Alex Tuck. Tuck. Alex Tuck is really the only thing you gave up. You didn't really give up a ton for him. This so, is the funny thing about Vegas is they've traded, I think they've traded every first round or first round drafted player they've had because mm-hmm. Brandstrom's out, Nick Suzuki's out, Cody Glass is traded out, Krebs is traded out now. Because yep. Krebs is, he has decent draft pedigree and he could be, a, he looks to be a, a bona fide NHLer, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, Peyton Krebs was a nice pickup as well. It's just really funny that the thing that I think is going to be, that's going to be difficult for Vegas is where's the space? Yep. And that's always going to be a big thing. And that was one of the big things that I talked about was for a team to land Jack Eichel, you would have needed the pieces, but you would have had to have cap space to make it work. So really when you go down the list, who do you really see getting cut? Is it going to be William Carlson? Is it going to be Jonathan Marshall? Is it going to be, you know, who's it really going to be getting shipped out of town to make this work? Well, like, I think ideally they'd want to get rid of Dadanov. Yeah, but I mean, that's an easy contract. I think he only has what, another one year at five million. Yeah, that's not it's tough. If if Dadanov continue, plays like he does in Ottawa, and I don't think he's been great in Vegas this year. He hasn't, but I mean, in fairness, have you also seen how Nick Holden has been playing in Ottawa? That's true. But. Nick Holden is at $5 million. No. Like, Dadanoff might legitimately be difficult to trade. Do they just not re-sign Riley Smith? Like, if Riley Smith and Dadanoff walk, yeah, that's $10 million, but you've also lost two wingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you really wouldn't have anybody to replace them at that point because you'd be so right up, excuse me, right up against the cap. Yeah. Honestly, couldn't even make it work, right? Although Stone Eichel Pacioretty would be a lethal top line. Yeah, that would be the line to beat in the West right then and there, right? Because you've yeah. got Mark Stone who can score, Jack Eichel who can score, and Pacioretty who can also score. Yeah. I think it's going to be amazing to see how many of these superstar star players Vegas gods and how they're really going to 
mesh in Vegas because think of all the big names they've got there and you're going to have guys who want to get their ice time, get the puck, get everything that goes along with being a star player. Yeah. Because including with Eichel, like I said, Patch, Stone, Patrangelo, Lanner, like you go down the list of all these star players that they're landing, right? So what's kind of funny is how few players from the expansion era, the expansion draft or even left in uh, Vegas. It's just William Carlson, Jonathan Masher show, William Carrier and Braden McNabb. Yeah. All their first round picks are gone. It's actually, it's insanity. Yeah. But that's, but you know what though, when you have a Stanley cup window open that like that, you need to maximize it. Right. Oh, of course they're, they're doing, it's just really funny. You know? Mm-hmm. very true man very true so tim you know this is the first time this season that we get to talk about a head coach being fired chicago blackhawks have fired head coach jeremy colton after parts of four season colian who became the blackhawks head coach in 2018 following the firing of joel quenville recorded an 87 92 and 26 regular season record I don't know how he survived this long. Well, I guess it's like the Blackhawks overachieved last year, but man, this was a dire fucking start. Yeah, this was bad. Like this was so bad. And not only that, the team on the ice is bad. And then you have all the drama off the ice. You can't eat. That's the heart. That's the one thing that sucks for Culleton is he wasn't even around for when that shit happened, but it's going to let that egg's going to land on his face. So like, I do feel for him for that. You know? Yeah. But how much of it really is that him being a very inexperienced coach or the team that he was really given? Oh, he, the team he was given was some, they were like, Oh, this team's going to compete. And then it was fucking dog shit. Yep. Like giving Seth Jones, $9 million, $9 million. And that contract hasn't set in, by the way, is mal-fucking practice. Like, you know how I say that the Dadanoff contract might be hard to trade? Yep. The Seth Jones contract with a modified no-trade cause is impossible. That is a horror contract. Thank God we got your bot for eight over eight. Exactly. Or New Jersey got Dougie Hamilton. Yeah, that's such a good deal. But he's out right now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He'll be back. He's day-to-day. He's skating. My fantasy league is not ruined. No. Well, I mean, God, you got McDavid, don't you? So Yeah, yeah. But also, holy hell. I I feel really bad for, like, he's not, not sure if he's a good coach or not. Because, like, he's just been given these depleted teams year after year. And I guess, like, Chicago in the bubble was a fun story, but yeah, no, woof. I I, I feel for the guy because he's just not been handed a good, he's not been handed a good hand, that's for sure. And that Mark Andre Fleury signing, yuck. Well, they gave up nothing for him, so that's true. But uh, yeah, that has gone real bad. Oh yeah. No, it's gone brutal for them, man. It's gone completely brutal. 
So we've got a couple of accomplishments we got to talk about. Anaheim Ducks captain Ryan Getzloff passed Timo Solani for the Ducks franchise leader in points during their games, during the team's game versus the Montreal Canadiens with 989. Getzloff drafted 19th overall by Anaheim in 2003, has spent his entire NHL career with the Ducks, including Anaheim's 2007 Stanley Cup winning team, which we do not talk about. <laughs> I always forget that Getzloff has been in in the league as long as he has because like yeah when we were kids he was like just drafted and now all of a sudden it's he's played an entire NHL career before our eyes and you know and he's done it without really any recognition too right yeah honestly playing on the west coast unless you're like Connor McDavid or you're one of these big time superstar electrifying superstars you're not going to get a ton of recognition unless you win a Stanley Cup right Ryan Geff Gretzloff, he's kind of like Anze Kopitar. Such a talented centerman. And yet you tend to, for, you don't really realize how good this guy really is. And I feel like when most people think about Ryan Getzlaff, it's almost like, a, oh yeah, he was there too. And dude has a Stanley Cup. And I believe he also has a Olympic gold medal. Yep. And a World Juniors. And a World Juniors. And we're talking about a guy who uh, is just about on a thousand. He's on a thousand points, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, this dude's a Hall of Famer. It is true. It is true. But I mean, again, going back to Kopitar, was that when we talked about him hitting, I think it was either a thousand games or a thousand points, is that you and I looked at each other like, wow, Anze Kopitar has that many points to his name? Like, really? Hmm. Like, what does that happen? Never think about it because he plays on the West Coast, right? A lot of the media doesn't follow the West Coast teams. A lot of the hockey pundits don't follow the West Coast teams unless you live out here, right? Yeah. And, yeah, for a mid-first rounder, Ryan Getzlaff had an incredible career. Like, granted, that twenty, that 2003 draft is the stuff of legends. Well, I mean, just look at Anaheim's, right? They landed not only Getzlaff, but Corey Perry in the first yeah. round. And you got to give Brian Murray all the credit for that because he's the one that orchestrated that deal. Because I think they landed that pick from Dallas, if I'm not mistaken. I think they did. Mm-hmm. I think so. And yet Brian Murray's not in the Hall of Fame. Wild. He really should be. Neither is John Muckler either. Muckler's not in the Hall of Fame, if I'm not mistaken. Really? That's surprising. I know. But somebody who is in the Hall of Fame, Tim, is New York Islanders GM Lou Lamorello, who became the third GM in Angel history, along with David Poyle and Glenn Sather, to hit 2,600 regular season games. Lamorello began his GM career with the New Jersey Devils in 1987, a title he held until 2015 when he took over as GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, then the New York Islanders. Lamorello won three Stanley Cups in New Jersey and was inducted into the Players' Builders category of the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2009. So honestly, I mean, I don't know how much you want to talk about Lou Lamorello because really, at this point, what can you really say? Because everything that could ever be said has already been said about the guy. Yeah, well, he's built a lot of really good hockey teams. And they've really performed with the exception of Toronto. 
I think that Toronto, I think he deserves a lot of credit for the guys that they've brought together because I, but the thing for me is that I think if Lula Morello was GM in Toronto, John Tavares is, would not be a leaf today. There's no way he would have gone after Tavares. That's fair. Yeah. But you know, you look at the team they built, like I think, no, I think Nylander was already with Toronto, but I think he went out and got Matthews, Mitch Marner, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was involved in that draft. You look at some of the guys that they brought in. Now, obviously, not everything was a home run for him in Toronto. But he definitely had a lot more hits than he did misses with the Leafs. The other thing that I I actually learned about from this story is that David Poyle's been an NHL GM since, like, the 80s. And, like, my brain, whenever I think Poyle, I just, like, Nashville Predators because he's been there since the start. I didn't realize that he basically been with the caps is for like a decade Mm -hmm. like it's insanity he's not the name you think of when you think of long-term gm well like super long-term gm no he's definitely a guy that goes really under the radar again i i don't even want to say again because you know on the west coast but nashville's a west western conference team so but honestly yeah blue lamorello good on him guys a hall of famer legend what more can you say? Exactly. So, Tim, you know, it's funny that you just mentioned the Nashville Predators because we got to talk about somebody who was drafted by an expansion team, not from the Nashville Predators, but from the Minnesota Wild because former NHLer Marion Gabrick announced his retirement at the age of 39. Gabrick drafted third overall by the Minnesota Wild in 2000, spent 17 seasons in the NHL with five different teams, the Minnesota Wild, New York Rangers, Columbus Blue Jackets, Los Angeles Kings, and the Ottawa Senators, recording 407 goals, 408 assists for 815 points in 1,035 games while winning the Stanley Cup of the LA Kings in 2014, and a bronze medal at the 1999 World Juniors. So, Mary Gabrick, the one comment I can make right here, right now about him was that he had the flash. He had the drive. He had everything you would think of a superstar minus the ego. I don't know Marion Gabrick personally. Marion Gabrick just seems like that kind of guy who he didn't have that big, oh, look at me, look at me sort of attitude. He just went out and he performed. And the results are pretty good. Like, I'm always a little surprised that he never got to a thousand points. Cause I always remember like watching Marion Gabrick and just watching these brilliant flashy plays, great skating, just this amazing ability to get open. I'm surprised that he didn't have a thousand points. And it's true because I mean, he played on teams where he, it wasn't like he was on an Island his entire career. He had guys, he had guys in New York who could put the puck in the net he was playing with Anze Kopitar in LA. Like he had good players around him, but I think it was just some of the systems he played under that was more defensive minded, more than offensive minded, I think kind of hampered him, but also the Minnesota years. You've also got to think that Jamie McLennan made this comment when he was on the podcast the first time. Marin Gabrick is like a Ferrari, but he's a Ferrari with 400,000 kilometers on it. <laughs> I think about that because the one thing that Marion Gabra could never shake throughout his career was him being injury prone. Right. Which was going to happen, right? When you were carrying the puck, guys are going to hit you. 
but you're absolutely right. And it, it really did shock me that he didn't reach a thousand games, but even when you look at his point totals, like he had over 400 goals over 400 assists, you kind of tend to forget that that's pretty low. I thought he would have been closer to 500. Yeah. And either one of those, right. Because again, he played on very talented teams throughout his career, but go back to what I was saying about him playing in systems that hampered him offensively. And it's funny we mentioned that, Tim, because the two teams that he played for, Minnesota and L.A., he had the most playoff success. The 2003 playoff run with Minnesota and 2014 with L.A. And that 2014 run was a really good run. And I always forget that he wasn't on the 2012 team. No, because he was with the Rangers. Yeah. Which the Rangers actually had a pretty decent, pretty okay run that year too. Mm-hmm. Actually, how can I forget that he he was on the Rangers team that we almost eliminated? Yeah. And Gabrick was one of those guys that in New York, he was a guy who was criticized a quite a bit for whatever reason. He was either he was injury prone, which is funny because he put up his best numbers with the Rangers. But he was kind of like, he, he kind of got the same kind of treatment with the Rangers that Ole Oakden got in Calgary. Right. You're a big name player. You're supposed to do all the things. He could have scored 50 goals and done everything for the Rangers. The Ranger fans still would have given him shit for something. Yeah. But no, no on, I agree with you. Not on him, Marion Gabrick. The only question for me, Tim, is Marion Gabrick a borderline Hall of Famer today? That's a That's tough one, right? Tough. I would definitely say he's a fringe. Because, mm-hmm. like, the hard – he has a cup. I don't think it's it's really fair to put a requirement on Olympic gold medal for people from small countries because that's just not going to happen. Excuse me. True. Know? Yeah. But it, you know what's also funny? And I was talking about the Minnesota Wild. The fact that Marion Gabrick – Hasn't played a game in Minnesota in well over 10 Well, he's years. from Czech, the Czech Republic. Oh, he's from Slovakia. Oh, he's from Slovakia. Yeah. Sorry, he was born in Czechoslovakia, right? Yeah. And it's funny that we mentioned Gabbert because, honestly, when I think of the Minnesota Wild, Minnesota has never really had that flashy superstar player. And today they have it with Karel Kaprizov. Marion Gabrick is probably the closest thing they had to that. And honestly, here's another question. Do you think the Wilder going to retire his number 10 in Minnesota? Kaprizov? No, Gabrick. No, Gabrick. Maybe. But he's been out of Minnesota for so long, I could just see it not happening. True, but he's kind of like Rick Nash in Columbus where – you look at his tenure there and he was basically a guy on an Island by himself, despite the wilds attempts to bring in guys like Pavel Dimitra and guys like this to give him a co-star in Minnesota. But, you know, Minnesota also had it really tough in the Western conference because it was so top heavy. You had to go through the red wings or the avalanche or the stars or, or, San Jose or Anaheim or Vancouver. Yeah. You had to go through every fucking buddy to go, anywhere in the playoffs, right, during his tenure in Minnesota. So I can understand where he didn't really do much with the yeah. playoffs, right? Yeah, and he doesn't have any individual trophies to help his case. Yeah, true enough. So, yeah, probably no. 
Let's move on to our next story, Tim. The National Predators have announced that they will retire Pekarene's number 35 during the team's game on February 24th. Rene drafted 258th overall, excuse me, by Nashville in 2004, spent his entire career with the Nashville Predators, recording a 369, 213, and 75 record with a 0.917 save percentage while winning the Vesna Trophy as the league's top goaltender in 2018. You know, it's kind of funny, although I kind of get why he didn't win it, but in 2016, 2017, when, uh, Nashville went to the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm really surprised he didn't win it that year because he had, like, it wasn't his best season, but he played a very good season. And his playoffs were very good. Like, he put up a .93 in the playoffs. Yeah. You know what's funny? Because we're talking talking about the Nashville Predators. They're funny. They're one of those teams that they have a certain position like a like certain expansion teams do you have one position where you find an absolute gold mine in yeah nashville found that in goalies goalies and defense think of it you had Kimo Timonen, you had shea weber ryan Suter, but and that's just on the defense but here's the goalies thomas volkun pecorene and now you got uc sorrows yeah they're all from finland by the way yeah well, also Yossi, uh, Roman Yossi for the defense on top of that, and Ryan Ellis. Yep. But yeah, it's the National Predators. There's two things they were known for. It was defense and goaltending. And, and catfish on the ice, too. Yeah, and catfish. But they just, they could stifle you out of a game. Mm-hmm. And those national teams weren't particularly high scoring. No, and it's weird because like Nashville brought in very highly offensive players over the years. Like they brought in Peter Forsberg. Yeah, I remember Peter Forsberg was a Nashville Predator. That was weird. Yeah. And Paul Correa played a couple of years with the Predators. So it's not like Nashville didn't try to get all get high end talent on the offensive end. But yeah, they were definitely a team that when it came to defense and goaltending, they just found a gold mine in players. Like, this is a team that made the playoffs without a 30-goal scorer, right? And they would routinely do that. Yeah. Honestly, I think early on, I think their most talented forward that they drafted, or scouted, drafted, and developed, and this is a name that you're going to be like, wow, that guy? Martin Erat. Yeah. Remember Marty Erat? Yeah. Yeah. Remember when uh, Washington thought that they could trade Philip Borsberg for him? blow up in their face remember freaking david legwan yep sorry senator's great david david legwan oh well yeah of course that's a weird draft though the 98 draft after le cavalier it's like who really got taken in the first round that you would instantly think of like oh yeah that guy got drafted in the first round because if you were to tell me david legwan i think he went Second? Second. You're just like, what the hell? Like, I'll bring this up as well, because I'm... Well, it's like Brad Stewart actually had a pretty good career at number three, but then, like, the top ten is uh, all right, I guess. Like, Vitaly Vashensky, Manny Malho- like Manny Malhotra at seven. Yeah, Mike Rupp won a Stanley Cup. Uh, Nikolai Antropov, that's a... 
yeah, so really the only big names out of this is like Alex Tange, Robin Regeer, Simone Gagne. He was great in 2002. Yeah. And of course, Scott Gomez went 27th. Well, it's funny how many of these teams are like, of those guys you just mentioned, like Tange and uh, Robin Regeer end up in Calgary. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, then you got the second round. The second round was better. You had, you know, you had uh, Fish. Don't you mention that guy's name. Ugh, that fucking guy, I tell you. I love him, but I lost a little respect for him this week. Jonathan Chichu, Mike Fisher, like you mentioned, Mike yeah. Ribeiro. And, yeah. It's a weird fucking, it's a weird draft. You know, this would probably be considered like but a poor draft. It, so that's yeah. easily one of the best picks right there. Well, it's funny. I think this would be considered like a notorious draft if, 1996 hadn't just happened yeah that's true give you that so tim i gotta ask you a question real quick <laughs> excuse me mm-hmm. have you ever eaten or do you enjoy chipotle at all like the restaurant or the spice the restaurant i think i've had it once and it was really bland well the reason why I'm bringing this up, Tim, is because the NHL and Chipotle have agreed to a multi-year partnership that will see the company become the league's official mexican theme quick service slash fast casual restaurant. Chipotle... Excuse me. Yes? How many qualifications can you put on that endorsement? All of them? Like, fuck. At that point, just contact every restaurant. Give them five bucks. You know what? Little form of place down the street will be the NHL's official handcrafted Middle Eastern cuisine that can be delivered in 30 to 45 minutes in the Northeastern Calgary area. Yeah. Well, Burger 320 would be a good one. I miss them every day. I know. So good. So good. So Chipotle will also have a quarter in ice brand position during all playoff games and an in-venue signage at the 2022 Tim Hortons NHL Heritage Classic. That's the funnier one. They can't eat. They get like the consolation prize at the Winter Classic. <laughs> yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Just official Mexican themed quick service, fast, casual restaurant. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I got nothing. I got that's, nothing at this point, man. That's comical. Yeah. But I'll tell you what's not comical, Tim. The New York Rangers have re-signed defenseman Adam Fox to a seven-year, $66.5 million contract extension with an AAV 9.5. Fox, who signed with the New York Rangers in 2019, had recorded two goals, seven assists for nine points in nine games for New York this season at the time of the story. Man, did he get booed mercilessly by the Flame fans the other night. I mean, with the shit he pulled, I can understand it. At least the Flames got something back for it. Like, that guy is going to get fucking serenaded in Carolina. Because he just walked right out on them, remember? Mm-hmm. Like, Adam Fox is an incredible defenseman, but goddamn, is he an asshole. What's worse, though? Electing to go to college or simply walking out on a team? I think the walking out. Like, that's Anthony D'Angelo level of dickishness. 
Yeah, it's pretty up there anyway. Like it's right the fuck up there. No, no, honestly, I think this is a really good signing for the Rangers. And we talked, I think, did we talk a little bit last week? I think we did. It's a very good signing. Very good defenseman. 100%, man. Such a good signing for the Rangers. And, you know, good on them, man. They got him. So now we've got to talk about some Ottawa Senator stories. Now, of course, we're going to talk about former Ottawa Senator, current Montreal Canadian forward, Cedric Paquette, who is suspended two games for boarding Anaheim Ducks forward Trevor Zagigas. Baguette is not a repeat offender. Uh, we talked about this last week yep. because I was mad about <laughs> the Sagan hit on. Why am I blanking on who he hit now? It was Nick Paul. Oh, Ovechkin on Paul. Yeah. Ovechkin on Paul. Yeah, sorry. Why did I think it was Sagan? No, Sagan pushed uh, Shane Pinto into the ice. No, Never that mind. was uh, Ben. That was Ben. I watched too much hockey. But uh, yeah, no, that Ovechkin. Like, these are carbon copy hits. Paquette deserved to get suspended. Straight up. Yep. 100%, man. 100%. And now we come to the final story for top of the hour. And it is about the Ottawa Senators and our brand new captain, Brady DeChuck. The Ottawa Senators have named Brady DeChuck their 10th captain in franchise history. DeChuck drafted fourth overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2018 will succeed Eric Carlson while also becoming the first American to be named captain in Senators history. So I got to make a comment about this. Yep. Is it me or was this just no kind of excitement about this? I honestly think the Senators completely missed the boat by naming him captain at the beginning of the year. But not only that, it just, like, we, we knew. We knew he was going to be the captain. It was just more of a when this was going to be announced, not if it was going to get announced. So no, when that's it got announced, it was just like, there's people on Twitter. Yeah, I know. Since Twitter, once again, always going to be the positive outlook on life. <laughs> they were just like, they were just bitching about it. Like, oh, yeah, there was no sort of excitement about this. No big press conference. It's just like, you fucking people, you guys can't have it. This is why we can't have anything nice. Yeah, it's funny how much I didn't really see the full face of Seth's Twitter until I started doing game day tweeting. The negative Nancy is a lot, could be uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, although your in-game tweeting has been fantastic so far. So thank you. You're welcome. Do you have a favorite so far? I think you know which one's my favorite. Is it the titty shirt? The titty shirt? No, no, that's up there. That's number two. Bosty. Bosty. You trying to get Bosty on the show was amazing. I was just like, nice. Well, it was more just me. It was like, if he does, if he doesn't say he's watching it, we can't be friends. I know. And like, then that was just me being a dick. <sighs> That's fine. Good Honestly, I, I laughed about it. And then Bosty responded and now he follows us on Twitter. So nice. Yeah, good on us. But yeah, good son or uh, you know, obvious choice for the captain. We knew this was gonna happen. What could have been a big bang just was just like a poof. Eh. I mean, you just kind of that's that is so typical of this franchise, dude. You just this big thing that yeah, we're gonna name the captain. It's gonna be amazing, and it's just like, eh. Yeah, he's the captain. I'm. I think you're right. They should have done it when uh, he signed. Yeah. The only comment I can really make is, 
Did you like you saw the pictures of Brady with Melnick, right? No. Okay, look up a picture of Eugene Melnick when Brady got named captain. That guy does not look good. Like he looks terrible. Yeah, we're gonna look this up. Yeah, man. Well, it's like we are talking about a, a guy who recent fairly recently recovered from cancer, like within the last 10 years, right? True. Yeah, it's no, he, de- he definitely looks rough. Like, yeah, he just looks so sick looking. Like, it's not even good. He definitely looks better than he did earlier in the decade. Sorry, like, back in, uh, like, 2014, 2015. Like, he, he's a lot less gaunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he still looks rough, though. Yeah. Well, he's also old. True. Well, Tim, that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which can mean only one thing. It's time to start talking about some games. Now, we got four games on the schedule. We've got... The Sens versus the Blackhawks, Sens versus the Wild, Golden Knights versus the Senators, and the Lightning versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Blackhawks. This is a 5-1 Blackhawks victory. The Lone Sens goal was scored by Alex Formanton. Blackhawks goals were scored by Patrick Kane with the hat trick and Brandon Hagel with two. <laughs> Loser. Shots were 31-30 for the Blackhawks. Brandon Hagel opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Blackhawks on a Patrick Kane rebound. Patrick Kane scores to make it 2-0 Blackhawks on a scramble. Hagel gets his second of the night to make it 3-0 Blackhawks from a shot for the point. Kane gets a second of the night to make it 4-0. Formanton scores to get Ottawa on the board to make it 4-1. And Kane gets the hat trick to make it 5-2 sorry, 5-1 Blackhawks, which would be the final. I don't know how many times I've actually screwed up on my notes so far, but that's okay. (laughs) So, again, condense watch this because we're recording last week's episode. And, yeah, I've got next to no notes on this, to be honest with you. I got maybe two notes on this. This game was hard to watch. Especially after the complete and utter fallout from the Blackhawks scandal that happened that day. And what's funny is that Ottawa comes out and plays a really good opening first period. Chicago gets a bit of legs beneath them. And then the Hagel goal is a soft goal by Murray. And then Patty Kane gets another one pretty quick off a of power play. Mm-hmm. And the Sens play an all right set. The rest of the second period, the Sens look pretty good. And then two quick ones from two quick goals from Hagel and Kane with the second Kane goal on Flurry is one that just straight on Flurry on uh, Murray. We're definitely screwing up our underperforming former Pittsburgh goalies here yep. was one that Murray a hundred percent had to have. Formented managed he met was probably the lone bright spark for the rest of the game. What's funny is Ottawa probably this is a game that Ottawa probably could have won if they had gotten the goalie goaltending they needed to. They needed from Matt Murray. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned the two guys who I have notes on. Matt Murray, first start back, 26 saves at .839 save percentage. Not a great game, but 
I want to play the devil's advocate and I don't want to say I can't completely blame him for the goals. The defense really didn't help him out in this one. The defense didn't help him, but at the same time, Chicago only got 39 shot attempts. Yeah. And that's, that's that's why I was very hesitant to play the devil's advocate just because I'm like, because again, you know, over the years of doing the show that I always try to play the devil's advocate. Okay. Did they really score because the goalie didn't really did a terrible job stopping it? Or was it the team leaving them out to dry? And like Kane and Hackle goals weren't great, especially the Hackle goal. We're, they're like just weird, wobbly shots. It's Murray's first game back and. I feel like people were pretty harsh on Murray. They were. I sense Twitter, man. Like, and it's funny is that especially because before he went down in New York, he was playing really well. But Murray's biggest issue is, I think, given last year, he has to like. I guess the hard thing is, is like last year at the end of the season, he was able to steal a few games. So I think I think I'm willing to give Murray a bit more time to write the ship, but yeah. you can tell the organization's running out of patience because uh, Bruce Garriock after the Minnesota game come out and set, comes out and just says, yeah, uh, Gustafson and Murray are going to play until one of them's the starter. Mm-hmm. Like Murray's not going to get starts just because he wants them. Yeah. And that's the thing. I I'm trying to give Murray the benefit of the doubt, because again, he did come back from injury. He did look really good early on. Uh, I don't think he got any of the wins. If I'm not mistaken. Not that I can think of. No, I know you're shaking your head, um, but no, I, I'm trying to give him a little bit more rope because again, Guy for, just came back from injury, and that's a it's a head injury, right? So obviously yeah, he got cridered. Exactly. So got to give him a little bit of rope on that. At four ten, again, goal one goal on three shots. Thank God we we weren't shut out because I don't think we could have lived that down after all the bullshit the Blackhawks went were doing off the ice, and we were the team that sen- surrendered the first win to them this year. Brutal. Yeah, the hardest thing with that Chicago game is there was this period from about the midway through the first period to the end of the second, basically, where the Senators just disappeared. And this is going to be a theme for the majority of this episode is that this Ottawa Senators team cannot string two consistent effort. Like, even period to period cannot seem to string two periods of consistently strong hockey together. No, and this was a problem that we had last year, too is that if you go back and watch the game, like we'd have a strong first period. And yeah, okay, we're generating shots. Coming into the second, it's like, oh, we're slow getting out of the gate now. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Holden and Zaitsev looked really bad. Like, this is a pairing that it's not working. They're getting caved in. Yeah. I owe everybody a beer now. My phone just went off. <laughs> so, Tim, do you want to head off into the second game of the evening? Yeah, let's talk about a good game. Sens versus Wild. This is a 5-4 to four Minnesota Wild OT victory. Sens goals are scored by Nick Paul, Drake Batherson, Josh Norris, and Chris Tierney. Wild goals are scored by Marcus Molina with two, Callan Adderson, Nico Sturm, and Kirill Kaprizov in overtime. Shots were 43-28 for Minnesota. A somewhat even game overall, Minnesota started the game completely dominating with an aggressive attack and smothering the Senators defensively, taking a 2-0 lead, which they then swelled to a 3-1 lead. Ottawa did get back in the game following a fight by Austin Watson, tying the game, then taking the lead, which they could not hold on to as Minnesota tied the game, then won it. 
in overtime. So, you know, we were just talking about Matt Murray. Let's talk about Philip Gustafson. 38 saves, a .884 save percentage. So I am going to play the devil's advocate on this one. Uh Uh-huh. I don't blame him on the goals. Yeah, like the first two goals, like those two goals in the first period, really quick. They were beautifully positioned. Hmm. And then he just basically shuts the door. Like he stole the game in the third period where Ottawa just kind of disappeared. Yep. Because Ottawa's first period was pretty shaky until uh, Austin Watts had dropping the gloves and Nick Paul just grinding out a goal. Like that was what the senators needed. Um, and then the bat, like Batherson and Norris's goals were both beautiful things. Absolutely. So let's talk about Drake Batherson. One goal, one assist on four shots. It's funny. I had the exact same note for Drake that I have for Josh. And it, all it says, when will they learn? When <laughs> other teams learn to not leave them open. And here's the thing is like the Kachuk Norris Batherson line, they were the best line and they kind of got stiffed for ice time. Stutz, Paul and Brown all played more than Kachuk Norris Batherson. And I thought that they had the better legs underneath them. So it's a little bit of weird ice time. Um, I don't know if I get it. No. So you just mentioned Brady to Chuck. He had five shots in this game. My note on this is just a shit disturber out there. Oh, yeah. He was throwing his body all over the place. He was in his office. And uh, Tyranny got another uh, no-stick goal. <laughs> How did you know that I have that in my notes? Because, of course, it's there. Chris Tierney, one goal and two shots. All of my notes, filling up his, in quotes, goal scored by body parts scorecard. Well, he's gotten elbow, he's gotten leg, and both of those were pretty controversial. He's gotten the groin. What's he missing? Has he got a header? No. I think those don't count. I think Colin White proved if he head it into the net, it doesn't count. Well, what if it just hits off his visor? Like, he doesn't make a head-moving motion, it just hits off his face in it. Has he got one of those? No. Um... No, I think one of these games, I think Stutzla took a puck to the face. But other than that, no, honestly, if it was like a deflection, I don't know if it would, if it bounced off his visor and went in, maybe it would count. But I don't know yet. Yeah, it's hard to say. The Shabbat Zoop line was dominant again. Mm-hmm. That's the one consistency on the defense so far this season has really been Shabbat Zoop. Because mm-hmm. honestly, when you look at the other defense pairings, you're just like, you just shake your head. You're like, oh, good Lord. we got to put these people out now. Yeah. Delzato and Zaitsev are funny because they were on for all of Ottawa's goals at even strength. But they were Delzato was also on for all of Ottawa's goals against at even strength. It was actually kind of bizarre. So I do want to talk about Tim Stutzler for a second here because he only had one assist in this game. But there's one moment in this game I felt so gutted for him in the dying seconds of the game. Tim Stutzla goes around the defense. He beats the goalie. He doesn't score that attempt to win it in the final game or in the final minute. I just went, how, how did 
how did Talbot get that? That was an incredible save. That was easily the, one of the best plays I've seen Stutzler play all year. And that's the thing is like, if Stutzler keeps playing like that, it's going to go in. It's going to happen. He's going to score in droves because like plays like that are absolutely brilliant. And he's doing that like at least once a game. It's mm-hmm. incredible. I, and this is where I don't understand people's on Twitter saying that they should send him down to Belleville. It's like, why, why would you want to send this kid down to Belleville? He's doing pretty much everything right, except score. And you can't control that Matt Talbot's just going to fly across the sa- the crease and just dive with his glove and get it. That was an incredible save. It was. The only thing that's holding Stutzel back right now is the fact that he's not playing on the top line right now. He's, he's stuck with Chris Tierney. Because think of it, and there's always been the contention on Twitter, is who would you really put with Norris and Bath? To Chuck or Stutzla? I'd rather have Stutzla right now. Because if you saw how Stutzla played at the beginning of the year, I would play Stutzla with him. Bath, or Tachuk's a great player, don't get me wrong, but Bath could pretty much fill that rule that Tachuk plays in front of the net. Yeah. Now, I do have to say one more thing about Stutzla. Him trying to stop the attacker in OT, which he was co- he was trying to correct the mistake that he made by coughing the puck up. Yeah. I honestly thought that was really adorable, him trying to do that, because I have a five-year-old niece. It looked like her trying to tackle me. <laughs> when the guy's going on there, and he's still trying to stop him. He just looks like he's one step away from bear-hugging him and bringing him down to the ice. Yeah. It You've was- got to feel for him on that, because it's just like, because Delzato did him no favors, too. No, Delzato. Why you don't play Shabbat and or Zub in the overtime, I will never understand. Well, it's like he did, like Shabbat was out there. I have no idea why you wouldn't put out Zub because Zub is a really competent punk mover. Like, very, very good. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't fucking know. I don't know, man. So I've got two more notes I want to make here, and it's not about the players. It's about other stuff I was seeing in their rank. Now, because it is Movember, one thing I didn't really realize in maybe quarter of the way through the game, all of the Minnesota Wilds board ads were in purple. Right, for Hockey Fights Cancer. Yeah. I thought that's a really nice touch. I would appreciate that. Another thing I realized, now usually I would give props to Alex Marchant, sends DJ some of the music he plays. I was noticing like the Wild DJ, the music selection was pretty varied in this game. It went yeah. from like... EDM to Metallica to Industry Baby by Little Nas X, mm. which I will go on record right now. That's an absolute killer beat. Industry Baby is such a great beat. Golden Knights versus Senators. This is a five to one Golden Knights victory. Golden Knights goals were scored by Jonathan Marshall, William Carrier, Brent Howden, and Alex Petrangelo. The Lone Sens goal were scored by Brady DeChuck. Shots were 39-38 for the Senators. William Carrier opens the score to make it 1-0 Vegas on a shot that slips through Gus's five-hole. Brett Howden scores to make it 2-0 Vegas. Jonathan Marshall scores to make it 3-0 Vegas. Brady gets Ottawa on the board to make it 3-1 at a deflection from the point. Alex Petrangelo scores to make it 4-1 Vegas. And Marshall gets his second of the night to make it 5-1 Vegas, which would be the final. So... I decided to skip this one on my suggestion. Yeah. Now the suggestion you did make was that I decided to watch the Tarantino movie once upon a time in Hollywood. How is that? 
Not that great. Huh. It's a movie that, honestly, I think Tarantino was trying to pay more homage to old school Hollywood than make a good movie. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So, Ottawa's defense. Talk about absolutely leaving Gustafson out to dry on the first three goals. However, Gustafson himself did not look good on them as well. No, and this is definitely a game where you watch it and you're like, well, Matt Murray's coming in next game because that was, I think it was especially the, I want to say the second or third goal was a, was it the Howden goal? I think it was the Howden goal where you have to have that. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. It was just like, oh, good Lord. But it didn't help that the Senators came out and just ran Vegas through the ringer for the first. Like it was a dominant performance by the Senators up until the carrier, the carrier goal. And then the Senators kind of disappeared. Yeah. And that's disappointing, right? Especially when, you know, you're looking at a team that's so, def- so depleted right now, because Stone's not playing. Uh, who else is not playing? Hatcheretti's not playing. Hatcheretti. Obviously, Alex Tuck, because he just got traded for Jack Eichel that day, so he's not in the lineup. But it just continues the trend of former Ottawa Senator goalies coming into Ottawa and beating us. Leonard did play a very good game. He did. I know, it showed because I got him on my fantasy team. But, and this is the funny thing is, outside of the top line, there was... Stutzla had another really good opportunity. I wonder if Dylan Gambrell, Gambrell had scored in the first, would this have been a different game? Maybe. I mean, that fourth line, though, between Gambrell and Zach Sanford, they had seven shots, so you never yeah. know, right? Well, that's the funny thing. Is I actually, this iteration of the Sens' fourth line isn't bad. No. Like, Sanford, Gambrell, and Watson is, I like that a lot better than uh, when they had Logan Shaw. But it's just like this team needs needs a bit more strength down center. Yep. Yeah, and I think well, definitely losing Pento and Colin White is a huge thing, right? So. Yeah, because that's your number two and number three center gone. Yep. The only defense pairing again that looked good was Shabbat and Zub. Naturally. Delzato and Holden was an experience. And Mete and Brown, that was unfortunate. Yeah, it's another game where uh, Josh Brown managed to Josh Brown at least was on the ice for shot attempts for this game, which is more than we could say about the previous game. That's just embarrassing. Yeah, it's like at what point does Josh Brown get sent down? Well, I mean, with Erica Branson being brought up, it has to be that one of them is going down. Sorry, you mean Eric Branstrom? Who did I say? You said Branson. No. Sorry, I had to get Branson on the mic because he plays for Calgary now. Yeah, yeah. Branson, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, Brady goal. Brady had a goal on six shots, classic deflection goal. The only real comment I have on this, you were you were live tweeting this through the through the Twitter account. I love your interactions with Bosty. <laughs> Enough said. Hey, we're going to have a Pride of Orange episode. It's going to be great. Very true, Tim. Very true. 
Now, Tim, are you ready to head off into the fourth and final game of the evening? Yeah, let's put this one away. Lightning versus Senators is a 5-3 Lightning victory. Lightning goals are scored by Victor Hedman, Jan Ruda, Steven Stamkos, Andre Pallant, and Anthony Shirelli. Sens goals are scored by Connor Brown, Brady Deschuk, and Logan Shaw. Shots were 32-27 for Tampa Bay. Excuse me. Victor Hedman opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Tampa Bay with a shot from the point. Connor Brown gets Ottawa on the board to tie the game at one, stripping the Bolts defenseman and putting it top corner. Really nice goal. Jan Ruda scores to make it 2-1 Lightning, resting one down Main Street. Brady ties the game at two after uh, getting a cross-ice pass from Brady Batherson. Chef's kiss. Steven Stamko scores to make it 3-2 Lightning. Andre Pilat scores five hole to make it 4-2. Anthony Shirelli makes it 5-3. And Logan Shaw scores to make it 5-3 Lightning, which would be the final. You want me – stop me if you've heard this story before. Otto plays an excellent first period. Dominating light, lightning in all three zones. Can't come away with a goal. Second period, the Ottawa Senators completely disappear, but somehow tie the game. Third period, a pretty even period. Could have gone either way, but a weak goal by Matt Murray loses the game. Does that sound like something we've talked about today, Tay? Yeah. Does that sound like every game we've talked about today? Yeah. So I did have a condensed watch this, and I talked about earlier episode. I was sick on Saturday, so I didn't get a chance yeah. to watch it. Connor Brown, one goal on five shots. He, and the one thing I noticed on condensed watching is he had some really nice chances. And honestly, I know you watch this game. Should he have potted two goals? It's tough because he was around the net all game. Mm-hmm. I can't think of another one other than his opening goal that really would have gone in for him, I guess. I guess he had a pretty nice shot in the third that was from the just above the right dot that uh, Vasilevsky made a really nice save. Sorry, Elliot made a really nice save on. Speaking yeah. of former, former Ottawa goalies, uh, Ryan Elliott played all right. Yeah. Tampa just played better. What's funny is Ottawa almost ties this game up right before the Palat goal. With yeah. a very good hard work shift from the Nick Paul line. Formington and Brown are just digging, digging, digging. And a really nice play gets Paul in front of Elliot. Elliot's down. And this is really the Ottawa Senators scoring woes in a microcosm. Nick Paul rings it off the crossbar. Andre Palat takes it all the way and uh, gets a softie on, Bra- on uh, Matt Murray. God. And that's the game. Oh, sweet Jesus. So this was Brady Tetrack's first game as Sen's captain. He had a goal on one shot. I already talked about the great pass he got from Matherson. Matt Murray, 28 saves, 0.879 save percentage. While he did bail out Thomas Shabbat after he fell down, he looked shaky in this game. Yeah, and that Platt goal is, that's a goal that a goalie has to have. Yep. Uh, The Sens' defense was in disarray. And this is due to the the line blender not working out. Uh, DJ Smith split up Shabbat and Zub, the only good thing going for this team. And, well, Zaitsev fucking tanked Shabbat. I've never seen Shabbat just get over 
overpowered like he did in that game, though. Even on like a dense game where yeah, he hit the puck on the blue line, I think he just got shoved right over. Like how and Shabbat's a big guy. You don't realize like it takes a lot to take him down, but but in that him just falling on his ass, skating backwards, and the puck goes the other way. It's just like oh, there was a lot of players just falling down. Well, I mean, in fairness, Tim, the ice is very slippery, so I understand. But it was just like it was surprising. So this like this game was rough to watch. The Shabbat, it looked like by the end of the game, the Shabbat's. Zaitsev experiment was over mm-hmm. as you started seeing more uh, Shabbat Zub come out. But man, Zaitsev's ass was basically stapled to the bench from the 55 minute mark. Yeah. While it was uh, Shabbat Zub coming out. And man, I hope the Zaitsev, the Zaitsev Shabbat experiment ends quickly. Because yeah. it's it was a failure one game in. It was a failure last season. Yeah. Put it to rest. Well, now you got Brandstrom up, so. Yeah, well, I hope poor Brandstrom. But then again, Gustafson got up. sent down. What the fuck was that about? I don't fucking know, dude. Ugh. The best players play at Sephora. Rest is a weapon. Well, it's funny. I know uh, Matt, Mark Mathot was actually talking glowingly about that because it it is a good idea. Like, why the hell are you practicing on the day that you're going out? He's been very vocal about that on a Wally Mathot too, is that he's been very open about the, yeah, this is stupid. Like the NBAers don't do this. Baseball doesn't do that. Why is hockey the only one that does this? I don't know. Like I can understand if you want to come into the rink and say, work on a few things before the game. But honestly, if you just want to go in and just warm up a little bit, get ready for the game that way, that's fine. Yeah, or lift some weights, whatever. Yeah. But like a full-blown practice? No. No. That's dumb. Like, do you, like sorry. Why am I blanking Boucher. on Boucher? Like, Boucher was right. Like, rest is a weapon. Hashtag the system. Hashtag the system. It's, it's just unfortunate. It is. Guy Boucher is such a weird dude. Like, there's a lot of smart things that he does. Then all of a sudden, I guess he just gigabrains himself. Yeah, 11-7. 11-7. Although, Tampa Bay did run at 11-7 during the playoffs last year. Yeah. And somewhere in an RDS studio, Guy Boucher is just rubbing his hands. They know. Yeah. He was just before his time. Exactly. Uh, I also I do feel a little bad for Guy Boucher because although he did himself no favors with the Boucher boys, mm-hmm. that locker room just fell apart on him. Yeah, but you know what though? The coaches of every coach has had their pets that they bring in, right? Yeah. Boucher, Heather, Tom Pyatts. Uh Boucher's were just weird. Yeah. But DJ Smith has had the same thing though. Yeah, with sites have. At least Connor Brown's good. Yeah, he well, Brown was a throw in. Yeah. Brought in Zaitsev, brought in Austin Watson, brought in guys who he played for in junior, right? Scott Sabrin. Did you know that Josh Brown played for DJ Smith in junior? I did. I guess that's why we will never be rid of him. It's true. Is is Josh Brown our top pilot 
or is that Scott Sack? Or is, we don't have a perfect analog for Chris D. Domenico, do we? Mm, no, I'm trying to think. Who is that one guy? Um, Jesus Christ, he was the guy. Dumont. Gabriel Dumont, thank you. That's who I was thinking of. Fuck, that guy was a black hole. Jesus Christ. Is he our Scott Sack? Is Scott Sabrid our new Dumont? Yes. Good Lord. Yeah. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this game. If you want to head off into the close. for Yeah, let's close her up. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger. I'm at GreatWhiteGipster, gr 8 W-A-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you just want to give some feedback on, since Twitter, Golden Boy Tim Jensen running our Twitter account, shoot us an email <laughs> through PlugSenseCast at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so for this week, we don't have th- four games to talk about. We've got three games to talk about. Good number, good number. Good. So for the games of the week, Tim... We are heading to Boston to play the Boston Bruins on Tuesday. Thursday, we return home to play the Los Angeles Kings. And Saturday, we are back at home to play the Pittsburgh Penguins. Let's hope this all goes better than last week. Very true. Well, I mean, Pittsburgh doesn't have Sid, so... Sid's got Vid. That's true. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Tim Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys. <laughs>